when we started making content on the web to empower people to make themselves feel better, YouTube was barely a thing. The iPhone didn't even have a video camera. That's mm -hmm. how long we've been making content and trying to give people the, the tools to the castle. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of The Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. Uh, this is your host, Aaron LeBauer, and today my special guest is Kelly Sturette, uh, the Mobility Wad, the Ready State, the Supple Leopard. And Kelly, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, 100% pleasure. I mean, uh, I have no idea what we're going to get into for the next hour, but it's all I think about. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, I go to bed thinking about physical therapy and all that. Uh, I know, stuff, I know, you know, I know. It's because you and I share that, and everyone listening shares that common thing. It's called nerd. Right. Like we are got deep nerds. Nerd out on something. Well, I just want you to know I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. And uh, like I was saying before we started recording, I moved out of the Bay Area, I think the right around the same time you started your business. And we'll chat about that. But I, I really love what you've done for the profession, for people. And, you know, so I wanted to have you on the show because I wanted to talk about that stuff. And it's a business podcast, so there's a lot of things going on in the background. I want to talk a little bit about the business. Yes, and yes. number one, is because most physical therapists don't think it's possible to do what you've done, and I'm sure probably at some point you never thought you were going to be where you are today, right? Yeah, I, you know, lecturing adult men about posture was definitely my dream. <laughs> and, uh, and worrying about our tech stack with my wife. Actually, you know, just in full disclosure, uh, any success that I've had, you know, it's because 50%, I'm going to go with 51% at least, is my CEO wife right next to me. So uh, step one, if you want to be a successful physical therapist, marry Juliet Starrett. Right, marry Juliet. Yeah, well, my wife, Andra, will always, uh, she'll be like, I've told you to do that for years. She's like, we had to hear it from someone else. I'm like, that's right. That's right. We say an expert is the person who lives a mile away. And, and I think that's what's really powerful. One of the things that's really powerful about this the fact that we can share resources on the internet is that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can see it and believe it. And I right. think um, even when I told my family originally that I was going to leave my role or my job at this PT clinic and just go in house because I felt like I was already generating so much revenue mm -hmm. for myself, uh, they thought I was crazy, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I could see the future. And I think some of us are just, perfect products of our system. Like we didn't know to be risk takers or we didn't know that being entrepreneurs was going to be the name of the game. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we weren't even told that the freedom was, was a possibility. Yeah. So back, back then, so tell me like you went to, you went to PT school somewhere and you got out, got a job. And then what happened to get you on the path of being an entrepreneur and starting a business? Well, um, you know, if I actually go back in time, I've always had a side hustle or a yeah. hustle. I mean, from early on, I was washing bikes, I was mowing lawns. I just really liked the freedom of working for myself. In fact, if you know me, I have actually now have a tattoo below, it goes below my elbow. Mm -hmm. And that's a reminder that I am now unemployable. <laughs> I can never work for someone again because I'm like, oh, I'm socially inappropriate. I have this tattoo below the elbow. So it, it really is burning, burning the bridges, burning right. the ships and just said, Hey, this is, this is where we, I want to go forward. And it's my re personal reminder that, um, you know, this has been me all along. So, yeah. you know, early on, I, I have been teaching complex motor skills mm -hmm. to adults for as long as I can remember. I got my first official job teaching whitewater kayaking to adults when I was 14. Wow. And so my mom's a professor. Um, I've always been in a kind of a, an instructed uh, environment. Um, I've always had a side hustle. And what's interesting is during college, I was, I was teaching kayaking through college and raft guiding. And I recently said to my friend, I'm like, what happened to us? How come we weren't running our own business in college? And my friend was like, dude, do you know how, how many kayaks could you afford in college? I was like, barely one. He's like, yeah, you couldn't afford 10 kayaks. You couldn't afford, you know, the, the lid hadn't come off on Alibaba. The lid hadn't come off on, you know, Amazon. Mm -hmm. It was impossible to even think about owning a side truck 
and the insurance and the marketing, you know, th- those were sort of uh, weren't native to our thinking, especially around the resources. And suddenly now there is a generation of young PTs coming out where they can imagine this for themselves, right? So um, when I met Juliet, my wife, um, and by the way, Friday, just shout out on the 29th of February is my 20th year anniversary of hanging out with my wife. Wow. And when I met her, I was a kayak rep and my territory was Montana through Texas. So I was working, helping design kayaks, working for as a kayak manufacturer rep and, and the boating rep because I'd quit the national team. And obviously you have, I was unemployable. So I became a kayak rep. My territory is Montana through Texas. And I just went around basically, you know, eating what I killed, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think on the one hand, this, the leap to starting my own practice, you know, putting that out there was, wasn't so much of a, a gigantic gamble because I, I had practice. I knew mm-hmm. that I could do it and I was comfortable a little bit with the uncertainty of it. So, I, so in my defense, yeah, I didn't go from zero to sixty, and I think for a lot of people, they've never worked for themselves. They've never, never imagined, you know, sort of taking on the mantle of responsibility. That is, the chaos of running your own business. It is chaos, right. and it's a game that I think that you can't ever win. You can only just, you know, as we've talked about before, you're just going to like solve today's problems and hope that there's still <laughs> leftover in the bank and have some fun. And, um, you know, so you know, first year out, um, I was lucky enough in the practice I was in, um, you know, what I felt like when I graduated from physio school is I hadn't seen any of the surgeries. Mm. That was, the, that was the gap. And they were, and, and PT school, they're like, don't worry, you will. And I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to. So I sought that out. I knew that I either wanted to work an inpatient, like doing really, really gnarly work with people who are really detrained, or I wanted to sort of focus on performance wellness, population health, not sort of classic outpatient orthopedic, mm-hmm. right? That was just sort of not, I had discovered that that wasn't the, the thing for me. And my first year of physio school, I discovered CrossFit. Yeah. And, um, and, and that now is a very loaded term, I think. And becoming less so, I think, as, as people, high-intensity exercise and kettlebells have become de rigueur. But when I started, what I realized is that, boy, I wasn't very fluent. In, I, w- I was already doing some Olympic lifting, but I mm-hmm. wasn't very fluent in running and sprinting mechanics. I wasn't fluent in all the Olympic lifting and barbell stuff as much as I wanted to. I knew very little about gymnastics, right? You know, I probably couldn't really tell you how to swim, you know, right. or how to program to that or understand what compensation was. And so early on, I was in this crash course of really trying to understand what the full and complete language is of movement work. I spoke mm-hmm. a little low yoga. I spoke a little Pilates. I certainly didn't understand how they overlapped. I didn't understand what the touch points were and the, you know, how downward dog was strangely like a deadlift right? <laughs> or, or the catch of a rowing machine or, or why active straight leg mattered when, you know, I was bending over and touching my, touching my toes. So I think what was nice was I had come out of an, a really high level athletic experience and I was injured mm-hmm. and then went to physio school and really struggled to make sense and reconcile what I was learning in physical therapy school with my own considerable athletic experience on the national team. And then what we knew to be the sort of the face and future of all good sports training. And they were like three different languages, you know? And I remember thinking, I'm like, well, this physio language is this real correlate language. It does not explain what's happening. It doesn't predict what's going to happen. And I certainly can't communicate this to coaches and athletes and national teams. And if I said I took all of my physio school mm-hmm. and then was like, okay, I'm going to go work with a national team. I don't even know what I would tell them. I would just wait around until they got broke, you know? Right. And so what I began to see was the really these overlapping pieces. And when I began coaching regularly and teaching movements and remember mm-hmm. the language human being is movements and whether you know, you're a Z health person, whether you, you know, whatever your movement or, or tradition is, your NDT, or, I mean, you know, I came out of the PNF model. It is all about re- restoring someone's ability to move the environment. I mean, how Nagy described, how we, they describe the, the disability model. It's when you, we just say now, like you're injured when you no longer can perform your role in society. And right? You can't occupy a role on the team. You can't, like that is true disability, right? And being able to, what's, what's important about that conversation and that nuance there 
is that it's all about giving context to the person. So it's not about your knee. It's about the fact that you can't do something because of your knee. And right. the reason we were training in the first place was so that we could have better expression and better experience as we went out into the world and into the universe. So now, fast forward, I suddenly was teaching this movement language, right? Squat, deadlift, hinge, push, pull, things that we take for granted now. You know, I like to point out to people, I'm like, oh yeah, you don't think the, the you know, you don't use the FMS very much, right? Mm -hmm. Greg Cook's F and Burton's FMS. I'm like, how much were you overhead squatting in 1986? Name it. How, like, name the weight. And you're like, you didn't even put a barbell over your head in 1996. You didn't know that was possible. So, Fast forward, suddenly we have got a population that speaks this language. I have taught on every continent except mm -hmm. for Antarctica. And I say push up, everyone understands what I'm talking about. Right. If I say let's get up off the ground in, you know, and I'm working with adaptive athletics, they understand what I'm talking about. So there is a universal movement language that everyone speaks. And then suddenly what we realize is, man, I had 10,000 quick tests and correlates for understanding the thing, but the thing was telling me what was happening. When I saw mm -hmm. people perform movements in a certain way, it led me to understand that they may or may not have native ranges of motion or the skill to be able to express that. And that literally allowed me to take a quantum leap back into physical therapy and understand what I was doing. You know, why is this scour test? Why is this position? Why am I, what is the anterior apprehension test? Like, why am I doing that? And all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's the start position for the snatch. Right. Like, I got it. I understand. And the, no one had, in my world, had connected the dots. In fact, one time early on, I had to call up the California Physical Therapy Association. And I was like, hey, can I mobilize someone who doesn't have pain? Like, can I do that? You're that guy too, huh? <laughs> I made that <laughs> phone call like, a couple of times. They were like, sure, you can do that. You know, and I was <laughs> like, so I can take all of these things and apply them to someone who doesn't have pain or dysfunction, just can't achieve a range of motion. Like that's in my scope of practice. And they were like, knock yourself out. And I was like, <laughs> noted, you know? And then what I really started to see was over time was that there was a lot of things that I was seeing that I didn't feel like was really skilled care. In fact, mm -hmm. it, it didn't honor my graduate education. It didn't honor the, the nuance and understanding sophistication of what was going on. And I felt like we could shift a lot over to the trainer, to the coach, to the person, mm -hmm. and really respect that. If we, if we got to the bottom of what we were doing, you know, and you say, hey, my, uh, my knee hurts, and then you, don't you can't flex your leg, you can't, you don't have any hip extension, your quads are stiff, you should not have taken a day off from work to talk to your doctor, to get a referral, to take another day off from work, to go see a physical therapist, to give you some lame stick figure drawing. Like, that's not a good use of anyone's time. Like you have gotten to a place where you have real tissue trauma or something's going on and you can't solve it, you should be asking for help. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's like running out of gas in your car and be like, I guess I'll call the mechanic. You know what I mean? Like right. there's some fundamentals that we needed to level everyone up on. And I think our profession, rightly so, it wasn't wrong to really go after evidence-based practice at all. It wasn't wrong to say, hey, look, there's more science behind what we're doing. We're going to have to create this, understand this. That's appropriate. Mm -hmm. But we have lost the narrative around empowering people, low side of control, unshifting, unskilled work back, right? And being right. allies in the profession. And I think that's where we have massive opportunities. So it was just seemed like, you know, I started the gym when I was in physical therapy school, which mm -hmm. people thought I was crazy for, like my advisors, everyone else. But what I was getting out of that was a firsthand education and the real usage of what I was doing. How does this scale? One-on-one -on -one works really well, right. but it turns out there aren't enough physical therapists in the world. So how the hell are we going to really help people get to the bottom? And more importantly, there's got to be some connection between how people are moving and why they may or may not have dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, returning people to better function, we saw was a really good pathway out of, of pain, really good pathway out of dysfunction, and really inoculated people against future sort of sensitizations of these things, right? Wow, that's amazing. So Kelly... Did someone tell you, like, I can just imagine someone told you that what you're doing by empowering people and teaching them, like, how to do these, like, unskilled movements on their own is going to hurt them, right? Are people telling you, like, Kelly, you shouldn't be doing that. You're going to, you know, people are going to injure themselves because they don't know better. Yeah, you 10 know? years ago. That, yeah. that may be the conversation 10 years ago. I'm to the place now where I'm like, have you been to Thailand? Have you had a 65-year-old woman stand on your quads? Like, <laughs> we are not fragile. So if, you're, if you think 
that laying or like, you know, working on a tool or improving your position or taking crack desensitization is going to hurt you, then you are not even like driving in a car. You're, yeah. And look, like all exercise and graded movement, we scale these things up and down. We have very soft, squishy things for our very slight people and old people, right? I don't hand the barbell to my grandmother. I'm like, all right, let's do this, grandma. You know, like it doesn't work that way, right? We don't go after heavy, heavy band distraction on, you know, on hypermobile youth. We just don't mm-hmm. need to. That's not where it is. So, but what we have done is we have said, you are not smart enough to be able to take a crack at fixing yourself. That mm-hmm. is offensive. That, I think, goes against the heart of what we're doing. And what we've seen is, in you know, Supple Leopard is seven years old now, and um, the original Mobility Wad, where we made one video a day, I mean, yeah. when we started making content on the web to empower people to make themselves feel better, YouTube was barely a thing. The iPhone didn't even have a video camera. That's mm-hmm. how long we've been making content and trying to give people the, the tools to the castle. And always we've said, hey, this feels sketchy. We think you're right. It's yeah. sketchy. If you think you're performing harm to yourself, guess what? Your brain and nervous system is so sensitive that it's telling you that you're performing harm and, and, and killing yourself. Quit that, you know? And, and so when we sort of explain some of the ground rules and then give people permission to, to work into it, they're really mm. surprised when they can manage their low back pain or their knees. And I, I just, the number of daily emails we get from people who say, this changed my life. I'm like, dude, I didn't change your life. What we did was give you a set of tools and we trusted that you knew actually how to employ them into your daily schedule. Mm -hmm. You knew how it was going to work around the things you wanted to do. You knew that when the the sufficient dose to make yourself feel better, that's real magic. And, and you know, one of the things that we've really tried hard to do is be agnostic about your movement practice. Should you have a movement practice? Yes right? I have strong feelings about what that should look like, but I also trust you that if you're like, I go to soul cycle, I go to yoga, right? I swing a kettlebell and I go to church. I'm like, dude, you're killing it. Mm-hmm. Like, let me know when I can help. And when you can't do something that you want. Right. But on right. the other hand, this, this notion of saying within normal limits, and that was really just an artifact, I think largely of, we didn't get paid to restore people's function. Mm-hmm. We got paid to help people become independent, no longer requiring physical therapy. We also got paid when people no longer had pain, right? right? So the second you had pain, I may not have ever made sure that your movement rose robust because it wasn't part of the language. I wasn't part of my reimbursement. Mm -hmm. I never, ever helped you restore your full native arrangement. Like, why the hell did I memorize all these ranges of motion? Right. If it didn't matter that I got people back to full overhead position or yeah. not, I just, just made it. So, so am I just babysitting people until they become desensitized? Is that the game? Right. So if that's the game, well, there's a whole nother game that we can play, which is let's keep right. it from happening in the first place. And, and, and let me just, since I'm on a rant here, yeah, go for it. I'm feeling good <laughs> is, you know, let's look at and give ourselves as a profession a grade, right? Because I love physical therapists. I love them. Like when I meet people who are like, I'm a physio, like we hug it out. Cause I'm like, I know you, I know what you do. I know you're reading. I know your obsession with working with people. I know that you're a, you're a psychological counselor. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much, right? So I'm, I'm a fan, but how are we doing on low back pain? Has our profession changed anything? Mm-hmm. How about the opiate crisis? How about ACL injury rates in kids? How about surgeries on knees? How about joint replacements? So let me give you a grade, D. And the reason we get a D is we actually signed our name on the line and we showed up for the test. That's why we get a D. And what I'm saying is that may not be the fault of the profession. Physical therapy education is incredibly difficult. And when people complain about it, I'm like, okay, well, what would you change? Which class are you going to pull out? Are you going to make it longer? Like, help me improve the ball comma, we may need to think differently about who owns what so that we can actually say, you know, the APTA says like our whole thing is about restoring and empowering movement. We're movement first. I'm like, are we? Mm -hmm. Is a hung ceiling and a carpet floor the best place to teach people how to move? You know, is that where you're teaching people to run and to swim and to get up off the ground? So maybe we're using physical therapy the wrong way. And what we can do then is say, hey, I'm trained as a physical therapist, so I can handle all these really acute musculoskeletal problems, but I have to be looking at what the rest of the world is doing around 
in improving performance. And if I drop the average physical therapist into any group class and say, go, what you're going to see is they're lost. They don't know how to coach. They don't know how to teach. They don't know how to, and that's not their fault. Right. It's an artifact of our training. So we're going to have to think differently about the system. And that is full of possibility. That yeah. is not a knock on us. That is, holy crap, we've gotten so good at this. Let's just pivot now and we can actually radically improve the ball. Yeah, I was thinking that. I, a few years ago, I did a yoga teacher training and I started oh. teaching these back pain yoga classes. And I've basically got 30 people there with back injuries and I can evaluate each of them in about 30 seconds, know what the problem is and take them through like a 90 minute uh, class that's modified for everyone. And, like, and you know what we're going to do today? Even if you have back pain, we're doing downward dog. Right. You know, right. we'll scale it. We'll modify it. That's like saying, hey, don't squat again. I'm like, so I should just never go to the toilet again? I'm just going to yeah. lunge my way off the, out of the car? Like, what the hell are we talking about? Right. So, you know, one of the things that we get when we're in um, a group class, so I'll use CrossFit. I own the 21st mm -hmm. CrossFit in the world. I've been owning a CrossFit gym for 15 years. We have five physios on staff. It's, it's a pretty rad place. Um, what I'll tell you is that we have, we don't use a lot of correlate movements. We don't mm -hmm. use a lot of corrective exercise. They're fine. They're, that's totally fine, right? Scaled movement to teach a skill is totally appropriate. Right. But even if you're coming to us with back pain or knee pain, we're still squatting. It may be, it may be really strange squat. It may be assistant, maybe held with a band. It may be six inches mm -hmm. or box. We're, we're, but we are squatting because that is the thing. Right. So instead of doing some correlate for the thing, and then hoping that magically the thing happens, we're still going to expose you to the thing. We may go very slowly. We may pause and do isometrics, but the thing is the thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I believe that a lot of roads lead to Rome, but ultimately all of these tests, all of these skills have to make you better in the environment. And that's the magic, right? That's the secret sauce. I think the easiest way to talk about that a little bit, what you're talking about for maybe most people listening, is it running? Most people think that all I got to do is get a pair of shoes and go run, but running's really a skill. Wouldn't you agree? Well, how about this? Running is not only a skill, but running's a sport. So right. what point did you not need coaching for your sport? Right. So, you know, what's interesting is if you go in and look at like the, the notion of heel striking being okay for me mm -hmm. is just a crazy thing. And I, yes, I believe that your unique solution to this motor problem may not cause you problems right now, but in the, but as soon as I take your shoes off and you have to run barefoot, you stop heel striking. Right. So what you're telling me is, yeah, I can totally bend my back any way I want as long as I wear this belt, you know, <laughs> and my feet are totally strong as long as I have these insoles. Right. Right. And, uh, and as long as I don't ever put my arms above my head, I'm so functional. And I'm like, okay, okay. So maybe that's incomplete function. <laughs> right. So instead of assigning a value to it, yeah. like you're bad, your technique is terrible. What we say is, Hey, you have an incomplete pattern or an incomplete position or incomplete movement vital sign. And running is a, is a vital sign. And when we stop just honoring, um, the robustness of the human frame, right? When we just go on beyond, we have a conversation beyond, Hey, you're just so robust and badass. That's good enough, mm -hmm. right? You, you'll probably work it out. Um, to, Hey, there's some skill with being a human being and let's, let's teach some of this skill so that we don't have to go back and remediate the missing lessons. And right. What we're looking for now, if you are, if you are working on, um, you know, if you read Yuval Harari, if you look at any of the anti-aging stuff, Peter Atia, all the experts, the amortal people, right, who are saying, hey, we're, we can die, but we can really extend the livelihood. What we're seeing right now is a fundamental mismatch between environment and organism, mm -hmm. straight up. And we're seeing, you know, the New York Times just had this obesity, uh, you know, article that we are going to be so obese. Like, you think climate change is a problem? It's not a problem. Look. I'm, my daughter, 11-year-old, just came in. She's in the sixth grade. And independent of her socioeconomic status, independent of who her parents are, when you and I went to high school or mm -hmm. middle school, the chances of us being diabetic was one in 4,000. Mm -hmm. That kid over there is one in four. If she's a Latinx woman, it's two out of three. If she, or excuse me, male, Latinx male, two out of three. Has, uh, African American woman, her chances of being diabetic are two out of three. Wow. So what I, I'll go back and say, how's it going? So what we have is this radically shifting environment where people aren't sleeping, 
where our food choices are terrible. We're not loading and we're not loading early on. Mm-hmm. We just did an interview with a guy named Dr. Nick Dnubly, who is American Council, uh, American Academy of Exercise. He is, he has been around Dnubly. He's been around forever. And Dr. Nick has done, he's a knee specialist. And he said when he used to start, when do ACLs, um, ACL repairs, he would start the screw by hand and then pull out the drill and he would drill into this cortical bone, which was like petrified wood. And he would break bone, like the drills would die because the bones were so strong. Now he starts the drill by hand and he often finishes the entire tunnel by turning the screw by hand because the bones are so soft. So I was just at the NFL um, on Monday with every strength coach in the NFL at the, mm-hmm. at the annual Strength and Conditioning Coach Association, did a two-hour lecture there. And I was talking to an old coach named uh, Jerry Palmieri, who was a coach for the, for the Giants for like 30 years. And he said, hey, Kelly, I do not remember an ACL injury rate, ACL injury in high school. I don't even remember one in college. And it wasn't until like 96 that I saw my first ACL injury. And now wow. look at the prevalence of this. And I ask all the coaches, when did you start to see this? It's a new phenomenon that we're starting to see. So there's some mismatch. And we can either just say, hey, this is going to be good business because we'll just repair ACLs and mm-hmm. pretend like it's too complex for us to control any of these variables. So we'll just throw up our hands and say we can't control for anything. And now what we have is this gigantic mismatch between environment and organism. We're not sleeping. We don't move enough. We don't load enough. Mechanotransduction 101. And suddenly what we see is that, hey, maybe the things, the conversations that we we're having a few years ago aren't good enough to help us really try to work on this population health level. And, yeah. and I, I think it's okay to say, wow, we're going to have to think differently about these problems. Where do we put in the training as being a physio? Because if I'm very clear, mm-hmm. I could not see what I see. I could not understand what I understand without the, the formal physical therapy right. education. So that, that has created this baseline where now I have the computer vision on top of really understanding whatever your movement solution is. Joseph Pilates was not messing around. You know what I mean? You know, Iyengar figured this out a long time ago, you know? Yeah. You know, man, what crushes me every every time I hear, like, the opioid crisis on NPR, I see the things on, you know, the the articles about the obesity crisis, and I know that I can affect obesity. My North Carolina Practice Act won't allow me to do much about it, and I've had those conversations. I've called the board, but there are opportunities as physical therapists where we can insert ourselves in that conversation, but we're not. Like they're talking about it and physical therapy never comes up. What are the biggest opportunities that we have or how does someone out there, you know, other than you and me, like we probably know, but like I want you to share, how can the a thousand other physical therapists out there in, help insert ourselves into this conversation so we become part of the solution with our unique skills uh, so that we can help this, you know, yeah. change. You know, one, one of the things that keep in mind is that, you know, people are – you know, an aggregation of a lot of micro trauma. And I don't mean like, you know, your knees are wearing out. I mean, like people have had injuries. They've, you know, they've, they've had tissue trauma before. They got hit by cars, right? We have a lot of people who come to us who used to play professional sports and now they're a hot mess. And we are able to program around their primary instability of the shoulders or their primary instability of their spines, right? We, we are experts in managing load, managing movement, you know, understanding sort of the, the bio, biomotor implications of some mm-hmm. of these changes in tissues, right? Like, you know, we tell people like, look, your discs, you're going to get better. You're either going to, you're going to, we're going to desensitize this thing and you may reabsorb this disc. But if humans were so fragile, every time someone had a disc trauma, there'd be no more human beings, right? Because that doesn't work. But I'm, all of our physios are really good at managing people who are extension sensitive, Mm -hmm. who have diagnoses, right? Who have all these old histories. Like we're experts in keeping people moving and progressing them, not just saying, you know, hey, just get into a warm pool and do water aerobics. I mean, like there's like, you know, come on, come on, stop that. So I, I think one of the things that we need to come into a record is, is when I became a physical therapist, did I give up my right to teach? So mm-hmm. I'm also a strength and conditioning coach. I'm also certified. You know, we used to say, get the CSCS, right? And one of the reasons we said this, like, you need to be able to go coach people and teach people. So sometimes I'm fully a physical therapist and sometimes I'm fully a strength coach, 
who happened to be trained as a physical therapist like 20 years ago, mm -hmm. right? And so the idea here is at some point, we're going to have to say, you know, as a profession, is tissue health on the on part of my conversation? I don't know. I'm just going to pretend like the quality of your tissues and your inflammation and how you eat and your hydration status, all those things don't matter because it's not on my skill of care. Right. What I can say is, well, I've had to become fluent enough because people are coming to it. I mean, recently I just took a CEU that was like having conversations about, you know, THC use in your practice because yeah. we have not given people the, the tools and techniques to feel less stressed right, to, to downregulate, to manage their pain. So what they do is they will solve that problem for themselves. Mm. And so, you know, if I can become an ally, I'm not an expert in THC and CBD, but if I can become an ally and understand the context and nuance, boy, that's also part of this conversation. And, and de-siloing this is part of the game. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to let go of the, of the reins a little bit, and people are gonna have to be comfortable with the fact that I see what that personal trainer is doing. They're mm -hmm. doing breathing and mobilization, teaching someone to mobilize themselves on a peanut, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that's a PA, dude. That's a, what are we talking about? Like, and what we tried to do is at least set up some guardrails. That's the reason like our peanuts don't look like Norwegian thoracic wedges, right? Because mm -hmm. you would die if I just handed out thoracic wedges, I'd create a ton of instability on people, right? Because I know people will go too far, but you, we don't see that as the case, right. Right. you know, after a while. So, you know, the, the question is, you know, how should you as a physical therapist take your physical therapy into a population or could you go work in population health around movement? So if we're, if we're saying exercise is one of the pillars, one of the foundations, well, I'm also laying and, and tribe is part of one and sleep is certainly a, a right. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the conversations around pain that have been happening over the last 10 years and finally dropping off a little bit, normalizing a little bit, we have always appreciated in sports that people who feel safe, people who have graded exposure, people who are, are believed, people who can desensitize, people who are well-rested, all of those people are less likely to suffer from debilitating pain, persistent pain things, right? right, right. That, that is for sure a truth. And that's called that biopsychosocial model. And that has always been the root of human performance because if you don't feel safe and you're not rested and not fueled appropriately and don't move well and your tissues are crappy, right? Then you're, I'm going to get crappy sports performance. So, mm -hmm. you know, once again, if we can have some of these nuanced conversations in some of these other domains, but through the lens of physical therapists, through the lens of classically trained physical therapists, but also recognizing that, dude, you don't have any terminal knee extension. That's a problem. Let's, right. let's, let's do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like people are been terrified of rounding their backs. I'm like, that's awful because you know, you've never been to a yoga class. You've had to round your back 10,000 times where we've at least right. said, Hey, normal spines have to flex. So I can see how the, the task is overwhelming, but if you are in a wellness model, well, how do we get wellness? Are we talking to people about their sleep? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I tell you what, we're not. So when people are coming to us with low back pain problems, or consist, signs and symptoms consistent with low back pain. Let's go back in the old days, we'll call it flank pain, right? <laughs> so I've got, I've got pain in the area of my low back. I don't know what the genesis of that is, yeah. right? But it hurts and I can't occupy my role in society and I'm afraid to have sex with my wife, et cetera, right. et cetera. Your New York right? strip. <laughs> right, so let's at least say, well, what can we control? And if I don't talk to you about your stress or I right. say, hey, be less stressed, but I don't actually give you tools to downregulate, I don't actually talk about your crappy diet, I don't actually talk about your alcohol, right? You know, five bulletproof coffees. If mm -hmm. I don't talk about your ambient and THC use, if I don't talk about the fact that you're not actually sleeping and the research shows that you're more likely to get injured if you sleep under sleep, then I am only ever just shouting a tiny slice of the conversation. Right. So the, the next question is, is that 30 minute session the place where I'm going to be able to affect all of those conversations? And the answer is, it's not. The answer mm -hmm. is micro learning. The answer is I have 30 people who have low back pain or back dysfunction or movement dysfunction, right? Can't move. And I get them in a class and I talk to them for an hour and then they get some unconditional positive regard. They get some education, they get right. some movement, they get some, right. And then I'll get the rest of it tomorrow. And so I think we're going to have to reimagine 
because we can't possibly be doing all of the things that we know we need to do to create a human being, not a human animal who suddenly has enough tone that the sulcus sign resolves. Like that's low level crap, right? And important, comma, there's some other questions that we, right. to be had here. I mean, so basically what you're saying is we can't, we, we can't just be satisfied with treating people one-on-one and getting one person at a time a great result. We really need to be looking at how can I get my message out to 30 people at a time and 30,000 people at a time, right? Well, I, and still working one-on-one, right? Yeah. So the key is if you can work one-on-one, I think you'll be able to work on five-on-one, mm-hmm. right? And suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, did you just create a tribe? Did you just create a community? Did you just create like a Facebook group called mm-hmm. Tuesday ACL Rehab Class? Right. right. There's so many ways now where we can get people back into being connected and being seen and feel safe and vulnerable and self-supporting. So we're nurturing this conversation. The, the, the issue is, is that one-on-one, does that even work? So, yeah. well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, do you, if I was going to try to be coached, and I could, do I only ever see you for 10 sessions? Because that's, that's the end of my payment process. So mm-hmm. even the whole thing has to sort of be reimagined. Well, if I walk into the average PT clinic, I'm like, where would you even hold the class here? You know? Yeah. And you're like, oh, you, you can't. We're going to do chair scoots in the hallway. I'm like, mm. <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, I was at, um, I was just at Fort Bragg uh, not too long ago at um, uh, Special Forces Operations. And we had all the coaches in the room, all the doctors in the room, all the nurses in the room, mm-hmm. and the physical therapist. And this physical therapist said, hey, I have a, a patient who tore her ACL and has met all the discharge requirements, but she's afraid to use her leg. What do you think that is? And I was like, that's crappy rehab. because, right. And it may not be the fault of the system. The system may be set up where it just... You know, you know, you need a left-handed wrench. You only have right-handed wrenches, right? Your, your screwdriver only goes clockwise. It has to also go counterclockwise. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the issue is like I said, hey, if we failed someone, if through this rehabilitation process, they don't feel like they can occupy their role in society in spite of our objective metrics. And that means, you know, if you look at Peter Sullivan, you know, he's got a psychologist on his staff, you know, and wait for it. He offers massage in his physical therapy clinic. What? Ooh, what? You know, and so what I'm going to say is, you know, it's okay to say, hey, look, we appreciate that pain is not just biomotor mechanical, mm. right? It's, it's multifactorial, but also there's a whole lot of low-hanging fruit and belief effects matter and right. relationships matter. And more importantly, intra-session change mm-hmm. is not as important as intercession change, yeah. right? That's awesome. I want to uh, pivot a little bit and ask you a couple um, questions. Uh, number one, I want to know what's in your garage. What's your movement practice these days? And oh well, you know, if, you know, if you own a gym, you have to have a home gym. Yeah, you know. So if you're a physical therapist, you 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 have to squirrel away some money so that you can actually work out when you can work out, which is at home. <laughs> I mean, that's just the straight thing, right? So, you know, we, my wife and I just, and one of our friends, Margaret, um, we just finished a nine-day virtual bike Tour de France race. Uh-huh, wow. Which is called the Tour of Sufferlandria. It's a company called the Sufferfest. And basically, um, the Sufferfest app is an app that looks at different energy systems and skills on the bike. Mm-hmm. And then they put you nine days in a row and you do, I don't know, it's 14 brutal one hour pieces over nine days. So yes. So some days were two yeah. hours and some days were three hours. Um, and so, you know, what, what I'll tell you is, as I've gotten older, I've discovered I'm probably strong enough. Like mm-hmm. I recently just deadlifted 600. I guarantee you that's strong enough to do anything I want to do. Right. I can never be too skilled. I can never have enough range of motion and, and control over that range of motion. And I can never ever have a big enough set of lungs. Mm-hmm. So I think Juliet and I would describe ourselves first and foremost as aerobic athletes, right? We do a lot of mountain biking. We love to paddle. We love to hike. And then we, we start to ask the question, well, what's the minimum dose that we can get away with in this gym environment to support those things? Instead mm-hmm. of making the gym all recursive, I do more pull-ups so I can do more pull-ups so I can do more pull-ups, which is an advanced conversation to have because right. a lot of people can't perform 10 push-ups or five push-ups or one push-up and I know a lot of physical therapists who can't do one push-up. So I'm sort of like, hey, let's get to basics first, mm-hmm. right? But eventually, you are going to be strong enough. So, you know, 
I will always do some iteration of CrossFit, which is yeah. means that I'm challenging my ability to perform quick and powerful movements when my heart rate is high. Mm-hmm. And I probably do more than one rep, but there's a lot of kettlebells in my life, right? There's a lot of strict pressing and pull-ups and basic calisthenics in my life. And then I love to swing a mace and drag yeah. a sled and push a, push a prowler and, and really think, hey, this movement practice ultimately does need to expose my body mm-hmm. to all the things it needs to be able to do. And so if I'm never, ever touching end range flexion in my hip or true extension in my hip, maybe that's not an incomplete, that's an incomplete movement practice. So, you know, Juliet, I probably train five to five to six days a week, you know, and then we don't worry about, you know, periodization or days off because all we have to do is live life and have some kids or get behind or run a business. Oh, I get that. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been. I, I cut my hand at Whole Foods squatting to get my ice cream the other. Yeah, yesterday. and that is a worthy, <laughs> worthy injury. But you know what I think is interesting is, um, you know, I was at Stanford Medical mm-hmm. School, and I asked all the the young doctors to be there, and I said, "Hey, who are who here has a movement practice?" And a lot of hands shot up. A lot of people didn't. And I was like, what's your movement practice? Because they're like, I'm a runner. I'm like, not mm-hmm. a movement practice. Mm-mm. That is not a movement practice. And then someone else raised their hand and they're like, I'm a swimmer. I'm like, that's rad, but not a movement practice. Someone's like, biker, not a movement practice. And someone, some like mousy, skinny girl raised mm-hmm. her hand and she goes, yoga? And I'm like, nailed it. That's so awesome. <laughs> you breathe, you move, isometrics. I love it. And everyone's like, what? Yoga is the, the crap? And I was like, yeah, yeah yoga, yoga is the shies. And, um, you know, I think when I ask physios, Mm-hmm. what's your movement practice? How do you know? How do you experience this yourself? I don't care if you're the best in the world, but you yeah. can't understand upright torso squatting. That's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know? you know, what's interesting is I went to, I was a massage therapist first and went to PT school and I got out and I was like, I don't know corrective exercise. I don't know exercise. Everything I was taught was too complicated for me to even explain. And for years, all I did was modify yoga to teach, give my patients the corrective exercises they need. And that's, and I did that for my own yoga practice and knowledge as a PT. That's right. And I think that really is uh, what I want people to appreciate is that you don't necessarily have to be skilled in teaching Olympic lifting, Mm -hmm. but do you know what a snatch is, right? Do you understand what the start and finish positions of some of these movements are? So even if it's not Olympic lifting, how about running, you know, like what does good running look like? Can you identify or did you just, someone comes in and says, hey, my knee hurts, and you're like, lay down on my plinth. Like, I'm not even going to watch you move, right? Because obviously it has nothing to do with the way right. you're moving. Right. So um, what we want people to do ultimately is say, hey, whatever you come from, if you speak Pilates, that's a great place to start. And mm-hmm. you can create a movement language that ultimately is someone moving through the environment, right? right. Bending over, getting up and out the ground. You know, I was, I did a talk at a, a local club here called the Olympic club, which is a very, very nice kind of sports club, uh, social, social community. And, um, just, just an hour on self-care. How do you take care of yourself? Like, what does that look like? You know, you can brush your teeth and you're, you know, you're sophisticated. If you, if your gums bled flossing, yep. what you would think is I'm never doing this again. I just made myself bleed, right? But we've we've habituated people to be like, hey, that's normal, right? It's sometimes you're you're gonna overfloss. People are like, oh my god, call the doctor. I've injured my gum, right? No way. So all I did to start off was, and I had a lot of people over fifty years old, and a lot of people mm-hmm. in the sixties, and I was just like, we sat on the ground, and yeah. watching people struggle to sit on the ground, and Sad. and and they started to self-identify that this was yeah. really difficult, and I was like, what does this say? about your, your ability to just be in the environment. Right. Philip Beach wrote that great book called Muscles and Meridians and believes that one of the ways that the human being self-tunes is that we were ground-based animals. We cooked on mm-hmm. the ground, we slept on the ground, we toiled on the ground, we worked on the ground. And what do you mean you can't squat all the way to the ground? You know, getting up and down off the ground is the number one reason why people end up in nursing homes. Right. So what's, what are the components to that? How strong do you have to be to do that? Not very strong, but you better have enough hip range of motion. Right. Right. And you better tell someone that's important. So, you know, wherever you come from, be a user and speak to the language, you know, but we're going to have to start having real conversations about the environment in which people are finding themselves. Otherwise, the system is going to back up so far. We'll never get a short arc quads are not going to get us out of there. Right. No, they're not. They're not going to keep not people enough. 
cutting their own toenails when they're 75. Yeah, and that seems to be kind of important. I don't know if you've been to the salon lately and seen some of the toenails, but I'm like, bro, you need to yeah. cut your own toenails. Oh, you yeah. can't reach your toes. That, oh, that's, that's our fault. That's our fault. Right. It's not your fault. People are just expressions of their environment and their systems and their training and their experience. So mm -hmm. if they've never been given the opportunity or someone didn't say it was important, how could they know to value it until it's really difficult to change? Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly important and valuable. I think it's, a, you know, it's one of those things that people don't know that they should they, they're embarrassed that they can't, but they don't know who could help them do, you know, like, how, how can I be comfortable on the ground with my grandkids? How can I, you know, reach my toes? I'll just go to the salon, you know, like, they don't know that that, like, should be a basic baseline level of, of movement. So, right? you know, I agree with that. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think is lost or hidden from this greater conversation about um, the biopsychosocial model, let's call it the biopsychosocial environmental model. I've never mm -hmm. said that before. But so when, when, I, when I take a look at a musculoskeletal problem, I think in terms of systems, and maybe this is my Maitland Australian trained stripe show, right? But right. I'm like, is this a joint capsular system? Right? Do I have a joint restriction? Of course, all these systems are working simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Is this a muscle dynamic problem? Do I just have poor length and tension relationship? Is the brain set this? Do, right? Is the muscular system just stiff? I'm a huge fan of Gil Headley. I think he's, he's the, one of the most amazing fascia, you know, body, you know, cosmonauts, right? Yeah. He's amazing. So I, I use this term sliding surfaces, which helps mm -hmm. me to describe neurodynamics and look at fascia and look, does the skin slide over the tendon? And I always say, hey, there's a movement part of this, right? Because yes, you can get away with moving inefficiently for a long time, but that falls apart as soon as you want to go fast, right. as soon as you want to have movement options under large loads. And when I, when I ask you to squeeze your butt in that plank and you can't, what I see is that you're practicing a position with less, with less movement choice and less ability to kind of recruit more, right? Mm -hmm. You know, hey, yeah, that, that rounded sitting position is fine. Your, your spine is supposed to round but you can't take a breath in that position. So right. that doesn't transfer very well to running or cycling, right? Or, or, or trying to get tight, right? Or create high intradominal pressure, right? And, and it's weird that your pelvic floor doesn't work either. That's so weird. So but the last piece that I really have come to hammer on and realize mm -hmm. how important it is, is this environmental piece. And that if we don't begin to address the environment in which the organism is spending most of its time, and then we look at your six physical therapy visits, which is one 45 minute eval followed up by five, you know, so I mean, you've spent three hours and 45 minutes with a person or less two hours and 45 minutes with the person or, and you know, three hours and 15 minutes or whatever the math is. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, you didn't change anything. Well, did you have a conversation about any of the things that may be influencing how this person is existing? Yeah. So we're going to have to have a little bit different you know, different conversation around this, right? right? And ultimately, we're going to have to probably constrain the environment in such a way that we don't have to make another choice. The environment cues us to make good choices. Mm -hmm. So one of my heroes is a guy named E.O. Wilson. And if you go into, uh, you know, and have read his books uh, on human nature, right? Uh, consilience, just his thinking, the sociobiology, I think it's vital that we appreciate that we came out of a window of evolution that said we need to move. And isn't it weird that the lymphatic system is backpacked on top of the movement system right, and the way right. we heal and the way we load, those are all integrated systems. So if you don't move, well, it's difficult to decongest. It's difficult to load the tissues, right? So what we start to see is if we don't appreciate that we are hardwired for serotonin and sugar, if we don't appreciate that we will look for the, the win and that a lot of our behaviors are, are uh, these addictive behaviors or these less effective behaviors, we're designed to want to save energy, mm -hmm. right? That, that some of us are freaks and need to exercise mantically, frantically, so we don't like, you know, that's how we self-medicated, right? The desire mm -hmm. to move. But a lot of us are trying to conserve our energy because our genes are saying that, right? These mother movement behaviors used to be constrained by the environment we have to walk to get water we we sleep on the ground we cook on the ground so i don't care if you don't like to get up and off the ground that's where life happens right but all of a sudden our movement windows our sleep windows have come in such a way that i don't believe when you're like i ask you are you sleeping and you're like yeah that's great i'm like can you show me can you prove it because i guarantee you you're not mm -hmm. and i begin to get to a place where i can't even tell what's what because 
you haven't eaten any protein, you've only eaten processed foods and you have, you know, drink a 64 ounce, you know, Dr. Pepper and you're like, you know, what are we even talking about at some point? You know, I'm giving you a lecture about how, you know, you know, you're, your brain is perceiving your knee, but it's not really a knee. Like, come on. Like, we're going to have to get real about humans being humans or not. And, and that's a complicated, nuanced conversation. And it's okay mm-hmm. that's complicated. Yeah. So, Kelly, is that where, like, the ready state came from? Like, is this, like, what's the transition from mobility wad to ready state? And what was the hardest thing about that whole rebrand? Cool. Yeah, like in well, in about four minutes because I don't want to waste. I don't want to spend well, too much time beyond your time limit. But so the very first set of notes we had uh, when we started teaching this uh, our live course in two thousand eight was yeah. there was a paragraph about ready state, which was my working feeling for how do we control what we can control today, and let's mm-hmm. let's get you into the best physiologic psychological readiness state so that you can go thrive you know right. i mean at some point there's just some thing i'm run out of time I, I have real kids i you know i have to sit in a car it's like i'm yeah. not a monk i you know i ch- take my shoes off when i can but sometimes it's not appropriate to be there mm-hmm. right so you know let's at least control or improve where we can in the context of our lives so that was the original idea of the ready state realizing that we didn't have to play a perfect game we said to play the best game that's available right. at this moment and for a lot of the people we work with, that may be, hey, I need you to drink a glass of water today. I want you to, one of our friends, John Berardi, is like, hey, to lose weight, I want you to get a dog. And mm-hmm. then that dog changes behavior because that person has to walk and move more with the dog, right? And get up and down and pet the dog. And suddenly everything starts to change. And so, like, we can be thinking in those terms of, of, of really simple behaviors that aggregate over time. When we started Mobility Wad, the word mobility wasn't used. We used mm-hmm. it in terms of mobile phones and then and people with adaptive needs, right? We liked the word mobility because it wasn't stretching, it wasn't, and it, and it captured, it wasn't even range of motion, it captured the notion that you need, it was the expression of your ability to move. Mm-hmm. So it had this biomotor component and it very much had a skill, technique, brain component. And when we came out of CrossFit, so WAD is workout of the day. Yeah. And we were the first blank anything workout of the day. So when I started this thing, I was like, I am so clever. I'm going to be mobility WAD. <laughs> now fast forward 10 years and there is sobriety WAD and, you know, you know, law WAD. And there's, there's a WAD for everything. And um, it felt a little bit like we'd lost sort of our magic and mojo. Mm-hmm. And what we saw, obviously, there was a little confusion. We had a couple other uh, competitors who didn't do anything we did, but they were sort of drafting off us because they had similar names, right? And right. That, I, for the average person, that's very understandable. Also, we would say to people, hey, we're mobility wide. And they'd be like, wad, W-A-D. And I'd be like, Ugh. you know, like, <laughs> here we go. So a couple of years ago, I told my wife, I was like, hey, I think we're ready for a name change. And Juliet mm-hmm. was like, I think you're right. And I was like, great, let's just decide. And she was like, hang on. As a CEO, I think this is probably going to take us two years of work. And I was like, what do you mean? We just changed the name. Like, I just go on Instagram, just bam. Like, and yeah. she's like, you have no idea, fool. And so two grindy, brutal years of really trying to reconceptualize, taking 10 years of experience, and also realizing that our maybe our work wasn't in the sphere of always high performance. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to continue our method and model of saying, we're taking these lessons out of sports and performance so they can matter. That's our living laboratory so that we can then actually help the people in our neighborhood. So why do we think this much sleep? Because we know that if you sleep this much, your performance is better and your, and your blood profiles are better. And we know that these are the ways to fuel that matters the most for body composition and gives you right. And so we were able to take all these lessons around good movement practice about good, you know, carriage of the frame and, reconceptualize that so the ready state was really out of that the need to say hey look we've got 10 years of hard experience working across so many platforms and different cohorts how can we help people with that and so what you'll see now is that if you go on to the ready state Mm -hmm. what you'll see and and is that you know um we have uh three ways where people can serve themselves and more importantly, we're trying to offload what physios and coaches need to do, right? So you can come in and mobilize for pain. Hey, mm-hmm. I can try to take a crack at fixing my pain. I can also mobilize to 
enhance recovery and adaptation, regeneration, downregulate, just some soft tissue work before I go to bed. And then also I can mobilize to improve my position. And so our organization is set up around that. And what, one of the things we realized too is that this was a big conversation and sophisticated. So we built a two-week on-ramp protocol for people. So if you don't have any equipment, we'll teach you the basics for free for two weeks. Wow. Because what we're trying to do is give people a basic education so that they can then serve themselves. So you can cancel after two weeks, but you will already understand a ton more about how your body works. And if we just had our, all our physical therapists, brothers and sisters, be like, go take this free two-week course. Mm-hmm. You'll get one, one short five-minute video a day. Then we can talk about why your quads are so stiff and what you're not doing about it, right? So right. that's how we encompassed it. And I'll tell you that it was, um, if my wife wasn't a lawyer, if she wasn't a four-time world champion in whitewater paddling, if she wasn't such a savage CEO, it would never would happen. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, congrats. I can't imagine how, like, it's a, it's a big challenge and a big move. Um, uh, and it was free. It was totally yeah. cheap. Yeah, I'm sure all the you know, legal work. <laughs> well, just think about, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we all get into this field, like Juliet's a lawyer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm a physical therapist. And suddenly we're talking about churn rate and, and you know, tech stack and, you know, and, right. and website optimization, SEO. Cert, like, it's going to take people a minute and you don't have to get it all right, right? Because now we've got PayPal or, you know, we've got Stripe or, you know, there's so many ways for us to get started yeah. with a very low entry. And I tell all the young physios who are coming out, I'm like, hey, don't get, don't get a facility. Go knock on someone's door and put your table in someone's corner. Physical therapy insurance is cheap. Right. Go get some physical therapy insurance and then also keep your day job and just go have some office hours and then start that parallel train. Eventually mm-hmm. you'll realize you're like, okay, I got this. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's for sure. Like that's one of the easiest things to do these days because it gives you some flexibility um, and reduces the risk. But I'm sure you're a risk taker though, right? Well, I, I have been taking risks for a long time. You know, I paddle on the US kayak team. You know, my wife and I paddled a lot of class five. We mm-hmm. raced a lot of class five. But one of the things that happened early on was that, you know, we were young 19 and 20-year-old kids when we became raft guides, river guides. And you were like, imagine 20-year-old kid being responsible for 100 people on a class four or five <laughs> river. And you're going to get them there and feed them lunch and teach them how to do it and manage it. Like yeah. you grow up fast. So right. on the one hand, I feel like Juliet and I have become very, we're very comfortable with risk taking. Mm-hmm. But what I'm asking people to do is don't take risks, just get started. Like, you know, go, yeah. go teach. You know, we, we talk to a lot of people who say, I really want to, you know, I really like to work with yoga athletes, you know, or people who do yoga. I'm like, well, great. Do you teach yoga? Like, mm-hmm. how do people know you that you're a yogi? Cause you know, all the, you should see the number of doctors and physical therapists and chiropractors who worked out at our gym, you yeah. know? And I think that's really the key is like, let's go become a user. Like I'm like, Oh, you're, are you in a triathlon club? Cause all you have to do is set up your table at the end of the ride and you will be as busy as you ever want to be. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're not in a triathlon club, if you're just no, waiting for people to knock on your door. They won't because no one has been trained to look for a physical therapist for right. free movement help. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the key. And I think one of the things we need to do with the language that you're creating is is create a language that people understand that physical therapy has a place in this whole, um, like, uh, what's it, movement uh, trajectory that they get from being, you know, stiff and unable to get on the floor to mobile and supple and, you know, strong and ready. And we also, I want to just really honor and give voice to the fact that our burnout in our profession is very high. Yeah. And the work that people are doing, I don't think is always feels as satisfying as they'd like it to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the elephant in the room is I think we all got into PT because we love the work. Like I really like the work. I don't mind mobilizing hips and ankles and I love to deal with stiffness and teach squatting to air squatting. Yeah. I love that. Like that's yeah. my jam, you know, it's not your jam. It's a pretty dumb jam, but it's my jam. And, um, what I want to say is that, you know, until we change how we're getting paid, mm-hmm. you know, we're having, we're seeing people struggle to, to pay off their student loan debts and, build a life and continue in this job they love and they're the best trained for it. And what we we're going to have to deal with the elephant in the room to say, Hey, look, this, this system is set up to put kids through so they can either go work in a hospital or go see 15 or 20 or 30 patients a day. That's no life. That's, Mm. that's really not. So, you know, I'm, I believe that because we have thumbs and, and forebrains, we can, reconceptualize the environment. I know we can. It's going to take a second, but we have to 
do what Buckminster Fuller said, which was, if you want to change a system, you can't rail within the system. You have to create a parallel structure universe model system that makes the old system obsolete. And without getting into um, you know, politics right now, you know, I don't know if a one-payer system is the right first move, right? Do I think everyone, healthcare, of course. Do I think we have a problem? Of course. Comma, let's build a system that's so rad that makes everyone else's system look bad. And then they'll come over. Do you know what I mean? So I don't need yeah. to take anything away from you, and I'm, but I'm just going to continue working with the physios that I know to create an alternative reality so that mm-hmm. they can save some money, that they can get out of student loan debt, that they have some autonomy, that they can go play and become more creative. And that's a big order, and, and, and it's okay that it's going to take us a minute. It's, it's right. going to take us a second. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's everything, everything worth doing takes time and it's oh my God. really uncomfortable. I, I try to tell myself, so I got two things I try to, I, I say to myself, I'm like, these are my mantras, my personal mantras. Yeah. The glacial pace is the breakneck pace. Mm-hmm. I believe that you're working, right? But if you're so burned out, you can't go home and open a website or buy your name. I'm so proud of all the physical therapists that I work with who get on Instagram and start teaching. Right. And they're not trying to influence their community. They're influencing their patients. They're just mm-hmm. creating a patient network around themselves and supporting them with everything they know. How right. simple is that? That's Kelly, awesome. the PT in like San Rafael, California, like <laughs> .com. And all they do is now they're just t- talking to their people every day. Right? Mm-hmm. Second thing we need to do is remind ourselves, and this, is, this came from one of my friends who's in the Navy, and it's on his go bug out locker, right? So he's a, he's a war fighter. And it says, his, his sticker says, no one is coming, it's up to us. And that is a harsh truth. But if you are unhappy with your system or how your work is going, understand that you're, it's up to us to change that environment. And some people are doing it incredibly well. Let's, let's draft off those. Let's, let's celebrate those wins. Let's, like, you know, all physical therapists will be enslaved until all physical <laughs> therapists are, are free of, of having to see 400 people a day and, 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 and fear of burnout. You know, right. I, I just think we've got some elephants in the room. And we're not being honest about some of those things. Instead, we're, we're arguing about, is it okay to flex your spine under load? I mean, really, I'm just like, we, we've got really much bigger conversations to be had here. Right. What are the, before we run out of time, what are the other two or three conversations that we need to have and we can do it another day? Oh. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's payment, right? Payment yeah, and time. Payment and time is a really big one. Um, you know, I think uh, reconceptualizing what the physical therapy environment looks like, mm-hmm. you know, um, with all the teams that we work with, we say, Hey, you need to get out of the room and go set up your table next to the squat rack. If you want to be relevant, everyone needs to see you move and you need to be part of that conversation. So Mm -hmm. let's go work in the environments. I think, um, some of the school age physical therapy, you know, for special populations, they have got it right where they do. They took physical therapy to the school and are working with children in their environment. Ooh, that's well, there's some powerful lessons we had there. We're also going to have to be much better allies with trainers and coaches. And one of the things that we're doing, one of our friends, um, from life is RX says active life RX, sorry. Um, you know, uh, great physio. And he's like, Hey, look, we need to humanize the doctor and professionalize the trainer. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that little couplet is a really powerful statement. And one of the things that we spend our time doing is teaching coaches what isn't, isn't in their skill set, and being able to identify red flags and being able to communicate what they're finding to healthcare professionals. So I'm working on my end to get trainers and coaches to be able to say, Hey, look, I'm working with this person. They don't have any hip extension. Here's the end range isometrics we've been doing. Here are the movement modifications we've been doing. Here's the mobilizations and the, the soft tissue systems we're trying to improve. And then they hand that to you and you're like, uh, whoa, that's, you're just a trainer? Like, that's pretty heavy duty. So awesome. <laughs> we'll continue that conversation on this end. Yeah. We continue to meet down. So let's get involved where the, where the real health is. And if you're not, if you're a physical therapist and you're not in YMCA, if you're not in the soul cycle where people are actually getting their, their movement information and training, as Greg Cook says, man, if you're not the movement, local movement expert, they will, some movement expert will, will show up in your community and take all that from you. Right. Right. That's very powerful. Well, Kelly, um, I want to respect your time and, uh, and everyone listening too, because this is a, it's been <laughs> great chatting with you. I really you appreciate you. I'm so here. sorry, everybody. 
Dude, that's, that's okay. We're just gonna have to do it another time too, you know? Um, but if you don't know Kelly, uh, you should, <laughs> I can't imagine many people list physical therapists haven't heard of you, but just go check out his stuff at the ready state. And I think you're on Instagram and Facebook ish. Yeah. And you know what I, what I think is if you go onto the ready state, um, in our Instagram, we use our Instagram to really try to talk about the the real application of the mm-hmm. thinking and you can kind of glimpse in and uh you know just we're 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 users and we're fighting for the users i mean we are you know every once in a while i'm like am i even a physical therapist anymore you know and then i i'm like yes i am this is my jam right you know right and, I, and, and it gives me access and allows me to solve complex problems in a way that if i was just a coach i couldn't be yeah that's really awesome kelly well thanks for being here and uh keep doing all the work you're doing keep up the uh the good fight and, i'll meet uh, you in the middle i'll start on my yeah. side you start on your side we'll meet in the middle and we'll yeah. celebrate all right that sounds good i'll see you in kansas <laughs> <laughs> all right well this is the cash pg lunch hour uh for aaron labauer and kelly Strett. uh go out and uh squat for 10 minutes and uh shout us out on instagram and let us know what happens <laughs> thanks Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.